this Pride, everyone's coming through for the Trevor Project on YouTube Shorts. Join us! Create a short showing how you're stepping up for Pride using the hashtag YouTubePrideChallenge. Come through for Pride on YouTube Shorts. Visit YouTube.com backslash Pride. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 97 of the Snyder Cuts. I am your freshly showered host, Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider. We've got a fun show for you today. Let's kick it off with touting my own horn. Tooting my own horn? Touting my own? I don't know. What is the appropriate pronunciation there? Um, Wow. More than a decade ago. Uh, I suggested Mr. Anthony Mackie for the role of Captain America. This was before Chris Evans was even cast as Captain America. I just felt like Captain America, like, why does he have to be white? You know, um, America is a melting pot. It would have been a very kind of symbolic move. Um, and they ended up casting, you know, the, the whitest of white guys, Chris Evans, uh, and he was great. He was great as Captain America. Like, I don't think anybody can dispute that. Um, but it was made official this week that Anthony Mackie will, in fact, be the new Captain America in Captain America 4. Uh, he will wield the shield, uh, which was left to him by Steve Rogers. And, you know, it's like, it's basically a continuation of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier show, where at the very end, he sort of, was ready to to pick up cap shield and everything um well i mean what can i say i I think this is well deserved i think anthony mackie's a really really good actor um i don't think that he makes the best choices um i'm just being honest about that i I think that maybe you know I, i mean the guy likes to work which is fine um he gets stuck in a lot of movies that you know maybe are are good paychecks for him but you know i don't know what they're doing to like advance his career beyond like making him like establishing him further as like a leading man um but like when this guy gets the right material he's great like underrated great um and, you know, I feel like a lot of times he's kind of just asked to play Anthony Mackie. Uh, but this guy has a lot of layers. I think if you look at his work in not just The Hurt Locker, which obviously won Best Picture, but, you know, Half Nelson. Um, you know, I just think uh, even The Banker, he, he, was, he was good in that, in that movie, The Banker. Uh, he'll surprise you. And I think... You know, like lately, Mackie's obviously known for like the MCU. And I don't think that um, the writing in the MCU really makes anybody look great. Um, But hopefully this movie gives him the chance to shine. And and hopefully, you know, being the lead in a Marvel movie will get him those offers to work with the top directors. Because like, that's what I'm not seeing from him. Like if I go down the filmography... Um, like I want to see him working with huge people, whether it's, you know, Nolan or Spielberg or David O. Russell or Paul Thompson, or just like people like that. Um, and I want them to think of him like that and it, because I think of him like that. So, you know, I don't mean to like belittle him when I say, you know, I think he makes some questionable choices at times. You can only do what you're offered. Right. But I wish that f- the rest of Hollywood saw what I saw in this guy. Cause I've always thought that Anthony was special. Um, all right. We can move on from, from that stuff. You know, I want to bring up the, the TV and film salaries. Cause I thought that was really interesting. So let me, I'm going to need those in front of me though. One second guy that should have been prepared, but I had to restart the computer first. All right. Let's start with film. Right. I mean, this is a movie podcast, so let's start there. Uh, Daniel Craig's making a hundred million off of these Knives Out movies, which is wild because he's only like, does he? He's not even a producer on them, right? So he's getting a fifty million dollar fee per movie. 
basically. I mean, good for Daniel Craig. And I get that they kind of need him as the connective tissue between these films since they are murder mysteries and like unlikely to like continue. Um, so they kind of need that anchor. And, you know, he, it will be his sort of post bond movies. Uh, so I get why there's almost extra value to them. Um, but just like in a vacuum, is Daniel Craig a movie star? Like, is he even a movie star? I don't know about that. I mean, do you take him out of the Bond franchise? And yeah, sure, he, he had Knives Out, but like would Knives Out have worked with just about anybody else in that role? Yes. I mean, I think in, to some extent, Knives Out worked in spite of him. Um, I thought his character was annoying. I wasn't a fan of Knives Out. Maybe you were. Maybe you loved uh, Benoit Blanc. I thought it was like a caricature. I didn't know if he was like in the right movie or in the wrong one which I think was, is also telling about, you know, the, the movie. Um, after that, we had Dwayne Johnson with Red One. He's taking home 50 million. So that's 30 million, you know, up front or whatever for, for starring and producing probably 20 and 10 or 25 and five, whatever the hell it is. And then another 20, you know, as, as bonuses. Uh, so 50 million overall. That is, I mean, that's a big figure for any straight line. I just don't understand... I mean, I guess if you need someone like that to pull this off, then you got to spend what you got to spend. But it's a lot like it's a lot of money. I don't know if Amazon's really going to like get the subscribers back. Like just I mean, forget the like the budget of this movie, like 50 million for one guy. That's a, that's crazy. Like the same can be said for like Will Smith and Denzel Washington. Um, now, Will Smith is a bit of a different case because I think King Richard is an awards contender and he could very well win the oscar i think he looks great i think he's definitely gonna get a nomination um but like king king richard and the little things are mid-budget movies that should cost 40 million overall so how do you just justify paying 40 million to will smith and 40 million to denzel washington will smith at least produces his movies denzel's not really a producer I, I just don't know like how the mathematics on this kind of stuff can work. Like it, it just, it can't, it's impossible. Uh, you know, maybe, I mean, uh, I don't really know how paying Denzel Washington 20 million to be in the little things, even if in a theatrical environment made sense. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I just don't see how the streaming math holds up to justify those kinds of like, bloated kind of inflated star salaries um dicaprio and Wahlberg and jennifer lawrence so they're making uh, the guys are making 30 million she's making 25 million same with julia roberts 25 million for leave the world behind all those are netflix for so dicaprio and jennifer lawrence don't look up mark Wahlberg, spencer confidential julia roberts leave the world behind but spencer confidential got the views so it's tough to argue with mark Wahlberg's salary there and I also think he's like a big part of like getting Peter Berg involved and just like, I don't know, he's a pretty reliable performer. Leo, now, Leo is, is, you know, a great actor, much better than, than Mark Wahlberg. Let's be honest. Um, even though I, I think Mark Wahlberg is a perfectly good actor. DiCaprio is a great actor, but like, you know, his movies don't always like make it a zillion dollars. Like Jay Edgar doesn't make a zillion dollars or whatever. Um, so paying him 30 and Jennifer Lawrence 25 for don't look up, which is like, again, in my mind, a movie that should cost $55 million all in. I mean, I just don't know if Netflix is going to get the return on their investment there. I don't think either of them are really going to be major contenders for awards, to be honest. Not that I've seen the movie. I, I just, you know, I've only heard like one spy report, so to speak. Um, and Julia Roberts leave the world behind. Like in what world is Julia Roberts worth $25 million a movie these days? Like, did anybody even like watch Homecoming on Amazon? Uh, that book sounds good, leave the world behind. Like I am looking forward to that. But, but like, okay, so if she's getting paid 25, what the fuck is Denzel getting paid? If Denzel's getting 40 million from Warner Brothers HBO Max, like is he getting another 40 or 50 million to be in this movie with Julia Roberts? Cause he is attached. I mean, it's kind of interesting that there, that there was no salary given for him on this. Um, but yeah, it just seems like a lot. Like if I was an investor, I, I just don't know why stars are worth this, to be honest. Like, are the, are, are the views that 
worth that much on Netflix? I, I, I don't know. That's the thing. The, the metrics of, of success are, are not only like different from what they used to be, but they're different for every single streamer. And what's a hit for Hulu may not be a hit for HBO Max and maybe an embarrassment for, for Netflix. So it's all very weird and, and depending on a zillion factors. Um, you know, there's the old school A-listers who are holding down the fort, like Sandra Bullock and Brad Pitt, uh, who are getting $20 million a piece per bullet train and the lost city of D at Sony and Paramount. And those um, that's before backend, right? So they still have their backend deals. They haven't been bought out because those movies are going straight to theaters. Gosling 20 million for the gray man. Uh, and that includes a multi-picture bonus, I believe, but it's like, if he's getting 20 million, what is Chris Evans getting? Because Chris Evans has a way better track record than Ryan Gosling. Uh, even if even if I do think Gosling is, is like a, a, a bigger star and a, and a much better actor. Um, Chris Hemsworth, 20 million for Thor, Love and Thunder. Michael B. Jordan, 15 million for, for Without Remorse, I guess. Uh, 13 million for Tom Cruise on Top Gun Maverick, but that's before the buyout. And he's going to get tens of million. You know, he, st- he, he gets like first dollar. So he gets paid even before the studio recoups. Um so that's going to be a fortune. Keanu Reeves, we'll get to him in a second. Chris Pine, eleven and a half million for Dungeons and Dragons. That seems like a hell of a payday for him. I don't. I don't mean, maybe he's worth that, but maybe they. Yeah, maybe, maybe they need someone like of his stature on on a Dungeons and Dragons movie. Uh, but then Pattinson's only getting three million for the Batman, and I suppose the thinking there is like, well, once he plays Batman, he'll be able to command top dollar on on movies going forward. You know. Uh, and I'm sure he he has like the sequels will just pay him out a, a lot more, but uh, but maybe they just wanted you know to to keep the budget down or whatever that first movie, see what they have. Um, Keanu is the interesting one here for the Matrix Four. He's making between twelve and fourteen, and that's before the buyout. So, geez, if you add another twenty million on top of that, and that's like a low figure in my mind, that would put him at thirty-two to thirty-four. That would be above DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. That, that would be like basically right behind Will and Denzel and Dwayne Johnson and Daniel Craig. So um, that sort of makes sense to me. Uh, I think he would have them over the over a barrel, you know, for, for the Matrix 4 as far as a negotiation is concerned. Now, TV was a bit more interesting. Um, TV was led by Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Pratt, the Marvel guys who are doing TV shows. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. has The Sympathizer at HBO. Chris Pratt has The Terminalist. At Amazon, they're making like over $2 million for Downey Jr., who's also producing. And then Pratt's making like $1.4 million for the Terminalist. Those are huge salaries. Uh, Jeff Bridges as well, the old man on FX, even though that's, you know, paused uh, so that he can get treated for cancer, million dollars an episode. Um, Brian Cranston, $750,000 an episode for your honor. But obviously he has Breaking Bad in his corner, you know, like Downey Jr. Pratt has the two, you know, two of the biggest franchises out there right now with between Guardians and Jurassic. Jeff Bridges is, is an, just a, you know, a movie star for decades. So like, you know, I understand those salaries. Same thing with like bringing back Sarah Jessica Parker, Cynthia Nixon, Kristen Davis for the, uh, you know, Sex in the City continuation and just like that there's they're getting paid 650,000 to 750,000 I was kind of surprised that Jessica was not listed as getting more but um maybe that's like just diplomacy like diplomatic maybe they're all getting the same amount maybe they negotiated together as a group because they really do particularly without Kim Cattrall Samantha they need all those women there uh Kate Winslet 650 grand for mayor of Easttown she's got the Oscar right Jeff Bridges has the Oscar Jillian Anderson, Emmys, Viola Davis, Oscars, the two of them are getting 600000 for the first lady on Showtime. So is Michelle Pfeiffer. Pedro Pascal, 600000 for The Last of Us on HBO. Same with Steve Martin and Martin Short for Only Murders in the Building on Hulu. Then you've got like, you know, TV stalwarts, Alec Baldwin, 575000 for Dr. Death. He's not even really like the lead in that. Ted Danson, 400000 from the traditional broadcast network, NBC, for Mr. Mayor. Same thing, um... Angela Bassett, four hundred fifty thousand for nine one one on Fox. Uh, the Succession team, you know, and and the Stranger Things people, they're all getting paid roughly the same, you know, between uh, three hundred thousand and four hundred thousand or so. The Connors cast gets four hundred thousand. Henry Cavill only getting four hundred thousand for The Witcher. I feel like he could be doing better. I hope that he re- negotiated a raise for season two, just like Jason Sudeikis did. For Ted Lasso, I think he got a significant bump uh, after getting 400000 for that first season. So, you know, that was just, you know, interesting Hollywood 
uh, salary stuff. I know my dad's constantly, you know, in the middle of watching movies and TV shows being what's the net worth of so-and-so the numbers are always ridiculous. I don't know why he believes them, but, uh, you know, if he's interested, I imagine many of you guys are curious what people actually make. I don't really like talking about what people make because it's really none of my business. In fact, I took an assignment once from New York magazine from Vulture, uh, to, to dig up star salaries. And I delivered a few, but I didn't feel good about it. And I didn't take the money. I think that they even paid me like twice as much as I asked, um, you know, given how much time I'd worked on, I think they paid me, you know, pretty decent amount. And I didn't cash the check. My dad would kill me if he heard that, but I didn't feel good about it. Um, I just feel like it's none of our business really. Um, I don't know. Well, you know, athletes, their salaries are public with the contracts and everything. I mean, if Variety put it out there, someone wanted it out there. I'll put it that way. So, yeah. Um, okay. What do I got? Apple won the Sue Menger's project. Uh, Sue Menger's probably um, uh, starring Jennifer Lawrence. I predicted this last week, right? Didn't I on the podcast? I, and it was basically based on that buzz from Don't Look Up where I was just like, I don't know if this is going to turn out the way that Netflix hoped. And I bet that they let this walk and go to Apple. And I bet Apple will also overpay for it, uh, which I'm sure that they did because they're Apple and they are forced to overpay for everything. Uh, but, you know, what do they care? They have like limitless money. Uh, they can just go sell some more AirPods. Um, and so, yeah, now they're in business with Jennifer Lawrence. So... Congrats. Um, I, I think that this will be interesting for people like myself, maybe people like you who are watching or listening to a movie podcast, but to the general public, uh, I don't think they're going to give a single solitary fuck. And um, yeah, I think that this will be proved to be money not particularly well spent unless she wins an Oscar, right? David Gates directing an opioid movie for Sony. Uh, I'm glad that David Gates is putting his skills to work outside of the Harry Potter franchise. I think that is sort of a waste of his talents, particularly these uh, Fantastic Beast movies. I don't care how many millions of people they entertain. Having said that, an opioid movie, I just feel like this is like so done. Like how many opioid tales and documentaries and shit have we seen? They're all kind of the same. Not hyped about that project whatsoever, even though I haven't read the script, you know, I'll, I'll do respect to the, the writer and producers on that project, but it just, the logline did not excite me. Uh, and I don't know, you know, is that how people want to spend a night at the movies these days? You know, not, not that we should be making fucking Marvel hamburgers for everybody, but I, I commend David Yates for like going back to serious dramatic fare, but uh, this is not really what I had in mind. Hopefully it's just different than the rest. Um, Sony selling Hotel Transylvania 4, speaking of Sony, uh, selling their animated sequel to Amazon for a cool 100 million. I, I have no idea how much, you know, these animated sequels cost. I mean, it's not like it's like Pixar level animation. Um, you know, I, I don't know what studios hope to make on these sort of direct to streaming sales you'd think 10% would be good uh, given that these things are almost certainly going to be losses. Um, I don't know if they're selling at a loss. It's like trying to just cut their losses. Um, but you'd have to try to think between 10 and 20% or so. Um, so maybe the movie costs 80 million and they're selling it for a hundred million. Uh, I have no idea. I think it was a good move. You can't, you know, kids aren't vaccinated. Adults are reticent to take kids to theaters Adults don't necessarily want to be back in theaters themselves, let alone risking COVID to go see Hotel Transylvania 4. It just makes sense. And it's a good move by Amazon. You know, you can't just let Netflix snap up all the animated stuff like Mitchell's Burst the Machines and Vivo. I think you got to like plant, just dip your toe in the water a little bit more, plant a flag in that animation world. Um, and so I think it, it's probably a good deal for both parties. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, which might gets autocorrected in text edit to scary scary joins wes anderson's latest uh scarlett johansson has joined wes anderson's new movie and she's also had a baby with colin jost his name is cosmo so whether they call him cosmo jost or cosmo johansson this kid's definitely going by mojo right gotta be going by mojo um scarlett johansson worked with with wes anderson once before she did a voice on isle of dogs but this will be her first live action project with the director and uh 
I mean, kudos to her for going right back to work after having a baby. I'm sure you won't even be able to tell with her. Um, you could barely tell during the, the Black Widow press tour. Like, if she just had a baby, then she was like eight months pregnant last month. I think if they just framed her, you know, from a certain angle and, and really focused on maybe the chest up. But yeah, wow. No, crazy that like nobody that like didn't become a story until the last few weeks. Um, Emma Stone renegotiated her deal or, or, you know, signed a new big deal for, for Cruella too. I mean, Matt, Matt Bellany's newsletter had some good details. I think Hollywood Reporter followed it up uh, with some more specifics. Um, you know, was this a preemptive strike to sort of cut off a lawsuit? It sort of feels like that. It feels like, you know, we don't really need Emma Stone joining Scarlett Johansson in the press. So let's take good care of her on Cruella. She wants to play this character again. We're down to have her play this character again. Whether it goes to theaters only or Disney Plus only or a hybrid, we don't really know. But here, you know, we've, we've worked out a deal now where we, no matter what we do with it, we, we figure she's going to be compensated fairly. I think that's what you have to do. Um, you know, Patrick Whitesell came down from the mountaintop and, and gave this speech, which he rarely does. He rarely talks about this stuff. Um, but, you know, he, he, he's, he thinks that these new platforms can be good for everybody. They just have to, you know, the, the networks have to be able to share the upside. Um, the streamers have to be willing to share the upside with the stars. You know, I, do I really need a Cruella sequel? Not necessarily, but I suppose you could have fun, you know, moving into the the 90s or you know who who knows uh, more needle drops though please um good for good for emma stone though you know that that's always the difference with the scarlett johansson black widow stuff which is going to get settled like i said because she's done playing that character like this was her last hurrah and so you don't really necessarily need to bring her back obviously you want to stay in the scarlett johansson business she's one of the biggest stars in all of hollywood i don't know why cut off your nose to spite your face, but I also understand why you wouldn't just pay out a $50 million bonus when like the movie didn't really merit that. I mean, that would be kind of absurd. Uh, anyway, you slice it. Um, Mark Wahlberg making me time with Kevin Hart. This is, you know, another daddy's home type of, of dad comedy where Kevin Hart gets a, a, a weekend to himself, his, his wife's away, his daughter's away. And he, he reconnects with his old best friend, Mark Wahlberg, and they have a wild weekend together. Like, yeah, that's what people want to see. They want to see A-listers like that going at it, getting into shenanigans and hijinks, just like, you know, Mark Wahlberg did with, with Will Ferrell, just like Will Ferrell did with Kevin Hart. Now the two of these guys are working together. I feel like it was only a matter of time. Uh, you know, hopefully the movie turns out okay. Um, but, I, I, you know, I, I, I like that pairing. On paper, I like that pairing. Jeremy uh, Gorelick directing Murder Mystery 2. Um, I totally forgotten that they were like moving forward with a sequel to this. I, you know, you kind of forget because they're so oddly paired. It's like a mismatch, but it works. The, the, the Sandler Aniston pairing. I really liked murder mystery. I mean, I, I liked it enough. It was, I think it's probably the best, um, you know, Netflix movie Sandler had made, uh, at least up to that point. And a sequel makes total sense, particularly with like knives out and stuff like murder mysteries are in, if you can get, a sort of more serious one with Daniel Craig and, and Dave Batista. Not that I, I really considered Knives Out all that serious. I felt like it was a comedy. Um, I think a murder mystery doesn't, they don't all have to be Clue. But obviously, the, you know, Aniston Sandler movies are, are comedies. Um, it said that they're circling. So I don't know if Netflix just didn't have sequel options or if it was like a matter of semantics. I'm sure that they'll be back. I don't know why you'd press forward with the sequel if you didn't have them back or at least one of them. Um, yeah, like you don't fast track sequel without two stars. So seems like they'll be back. And uh, I like Jeremy Gorelick. He's a good guy. I know him through a mutual family friend. In fact, we had lunch the same day that his like feature directorial debut, The Wedding Ringer opened. I was like honored to like this guy on opening day of his movies having lunch with me um really sweet guy and like a very smart savvy operator like you know he, he runs american high and with his partners they bought a high school up in syracuse new york and you know that's where they film all their movies it's like it was like this abandoned high school and now they can just you know paint the, the lockers a different color and dress it up a little bit differently and slap a new name on it and they can just be the high school in all these different teen movies that they make and you know that's something that'll never go out of style teens are always looking for movies to watch they have nothing else to do because they can't really drive so yeah i mean it's just a brilliant business model so kudos to him uh jack o'connell joining emma corin in lady chatterley's 
Lover, which is the first film under Sony's partnership with Netflix. I, I guess they're going to, you know, anything they don't, uh, they, they aren't 100% about sending to theaters. They'll give Netflix a sort of right of first refusal or something. I don't know what's going on there. Jack O'Connell, uh, a really good actor. I don't know how, like, if I see him as, like, particularly sexy or, like, a, a romantic-looking, like, stud for, like, a Lady Chatterley movie, but uh, let's be honest, I'm, I'm not going to see this movie, so I, I, I don't really care. I do wish Jack O'Connell luck on his career, though, because he, he's an intense dude, and I, I like him. I tried watching The, the North Water, though, when I was house-sitting um, a couple weeks ago, and it was a little too slow for my taste. Maybe I just wasn't in the right headspace. Uh, it looked good, but I, I, I don't know. Um, Luke McFarlane. This is a story I'm sure I'd even like said it out of frustration and, and, and anger like a year ago on a podcast or something like that. Um, but now it's official. Now I've reported it. It is on the site. It is real. Luke McFarlane has been cast opposite Billy Eichner in Universal's um, rom-com Bros, which is like the first gay rom-com from a major studio and certainly the first starring two out gay male leads. Um, you know, I, I don't know if everybody was happy with my story, um, but basically what I'd always heard was like, you know, this guy was the choice for this movie two years ago. There were some people at certain points in the process who were like, eh, you know, should we be going with someone who's a little bit better known, has more feature credits, you know, people who, you know, would, would ship Billy Eichner with, whether it's Neil Patrick Harris or Matt Bomer or, you know, who, you know, the, the, the very famous out gay actors. Um, but Billy really fought for, for Luke McFarlane. He, he just thought he was a good looking, like charming guy who, who was funny and like, you know, was really ahead of his time, like kind of came out in 2008, which, you know, we, I think we, many of us had evolved by then. Um, you know, I was going to NYU, so, you know, it was nothing, it was, it's not a big deal to me, but it's a big deal for any actor to come out um, because I, I do see how it can limit their parts. I also see how it can get them parts. And I think it, this, his sexual orientation, his sexual preference, whatever you want to call it, did get him uh, this role because Billy was pretty out uh, vocal about not wanting to star opposite a straight actor. He had seen, you know, so many straight actors be put up for, for gay roles. And it was just like there were never gay actors put up for straight roles. And he really fought for this guy. And I think that's a story worth telling. I hope it doesn't make Luke look bad. I think it's just realistic. Like this is a guy who starred on brothers and sisters like a decade ago, and then has been working on Hallmark channel movies. And that's fine. Like that's a steady business, you know, and, and he is probably recognizable to a lot of people, but I think that a lot of people also, when I'm like, Luke McFarlane's going to star opposite Billy Eichner, they go, who's Luke McFarlane. And that's okay. You know, I mean, like it's okay to acknowledge that, you're not the biggest star. I'm, I'm not saying you were the second choice either. Like the, he was always the first choice for this role. I just think that there were some people, you know, who were involved and, and were maybe in Billy's ear who, who were saying, can we get someone a little bit more recognizable? And Billy said, no, this guy is the guy I want him. And I think that that kind of passion will pay off in this movie, uh, which is being directed by Nick Stoller, produced by Judd Apatow. Like I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so, so I, I'm sorry if I uh, offended Luke or Billy by suggesting that, you know, he wasn't a unanimous decision, but I think, it, you know, it's kind of just absurd on its face to think that Billy Eichner, you know, in, in a room full of people was like, well, let's cast Luke McFarlane. And everyone was like, yes, that's a great idea. We're in. I think a lot of people shrugged and were like, who, what are, what are you talking about? Um, if I know this town as well as I think I do. Um, but congrats to Luke McFarlane. He's been holding that in for two fucking years, dude. Like props props to him he, he he stuck with this project this project stuck with him and I, I am looking forward to it next summer um you know shang chi uh shang chi as i learned last night uh i've been calling it shang chi it's shang chi like sean um got some really good reviews I, i'm gonna offer my reaction in just a little bit but i don't think it's any coincidence that we had a, a raft of, of Asian-led projects announced this week jimmy o yang is going to be working on a, a heist movie um uh, with, uh, with, so with like Jessica Gao, I believe, um, that sounds really interesting. Sterling K, Sterling K Brown team with Randall Park on like a, a buddy action comedy movie. And then, um, Daniel Day Kim starring in this is always for, for Amazon and director Nina Shum. Like, I, I, I think that Shang-Chi could open 
a lot of doors and, and um, sort of establish a brand new kind of audience uh, for, for larger Asian-led studio films um, that are more commercial, that aren't necessarily all, just arty kind of movies like Minari, which was fantastic, but obviously has a limited kind of audience. Um, you know, I really like Jimmy O. Yang. I really like uh, Randall Park, Daniel Day Kim. Like, I, I'm glad that these guys are starting to get more leads in, in movies that are set up at like bigger studios, you know? Um, Aubrey Plaza doing Emily the Criminal, which is like about a, a credit card scam. She gets involved in a credit card scam that introduces her to like the underbelly of Los Angeles. That sounds like kind of right up my alley, right up her alley. Brie Larson producing a Ram Dass series about the spiritual, teach spiritual teacher with Brian Grazer. Who better than Brian Grazer to produce that series? He's such a, an, a curious cat, always meeting with different actual, uh, intellectuals in different fields and stuff. Um, and MGM nabbed uh, Lisa Taddeo's Animal, uh, which sounds like a great female revenge thriller, and the author is going to adapt that herself. Um, all right, it's about time for the reviews, trailers, and mailbag portion of the show. I'm seeing if there's any news that broke recently. Oh, yeah, Hank Azaria was cast as um, Apple CEO Tim Cook, I believe, in the Uber series. And then Derek Tsang just announced to direct uh, Netflix's three-body problem from the Game of Thrones showrunners. Interesting. I'm not, uh, not sure I'm familiar with his work. Um, all right. Let's do some trailers first. There were a lot of trailers. You know, I didn't even watch all the ones that I wanted to watch. I wanted to watch like the trailer for The Voyeurs. I saw the movie. I'm not really allowed to talk about the movie yet. I'm, I'm under embargo. Uh, I wish I could talk about the trailer here, but I just totally forgot to watch it before doing this. I forgot to watch the Hand of God trailer, the bestsellers trailer, the new foundation trailer, the gossip trailer. Um, yeah, so my bad on all of that. Oops. Um, I did really like the trailer for 61st Street, which is a new AMC series that I thought that with, uh, with like Courtney B. Vance. I thought that looked really good. Mark O'Brien's in that. He was great in, in City on the Hill. Um, saw the trailer for Small Engine Repair, which looked really good. I also uh, watched that this morning. Can't talk about it just yet. I am under embargo, but that's a very good trailer. Yeah, starting to get some really good trailers, guys. So definitely check out the trailer for Small Engine Repair. That's with Shea Wiggum and John Bernthal. It's kind of a dark comedy. Uh, the premise, BJ Novak's FX series, you know, has some very wild premises. And uh, it, the trailer kind of takes you through each one. That looks very, very interesting. Uh, Eternals, I think... Someone said it looked boring. I don't think that that's true. I thought it looked interesting. I thought it looked like the type of superhero movie that the director of The Rider and Nomadland might make. It looked a little bit more, um, you know, spiritual. It had a spiritual sort of vibe to it. And I'm open to it, man. Like, it still has plenty of, like, glowing lights and, and stupid names and shit like that. But, uh, yeah, like, I'm, I'm down. Uh, I, I really like that cast. Um, the Bob Ross Happy Accidents Betrayal and Greed trailer it was like a 30 second tease about why Netflix can't actually show us the trailer for the Bob Ross documentary. So yes, I'm intrigued, although it also seems like a sort of a gimmicky trailer, uh, somewhat befitting of, of, of Netflix. Um, like their trailers are always inter, their trailers are never terrible, but they're also never great. Um, the Irishman was a good trailer. And then the, the Nowhere Inn got a trailer and I was quoted in it, uh, you know, saying, I think I called it a, a Lynchian nightmare with smeared lipstick. That's a great quote. I understand why they used it. I mean, I'll pat myself on the back for that one. But the movie is not great. I gave it a C plus review out of Sundance. So it's kind of funny how studios will take these critical quotes and make it seem like I'm like endorsing this movie. You should go see it because it's like a Lynchian nightmare. When Lynchian nightmare isn't exactly used as a compliment in my book. I'm not a big David Lynch fan. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a C plus review. The movie was okay. Maybe it's worth like a four ninety nine rental on BOD, but I wouldn't like schlep out to theaters anytime soon to see it. Um, all right. Reviews. I watched the, the making, I'm sorry, memories of a murderer, memories of a murderer that the Nielsen tapes about the serial killer, Dennis Nielsen, who I'd, I'd heard of, but never really read too much of, um, and I guess there was a reason for that. He wasn't terribly remarkable, like killed a bunch of dudes, put them in the floorboards, you know, put some, some parts down his drain, like, which is how he got busted, backed up drain with like little bones and like 
strips of flesh in it. So like it was fucked up, but uh, I don't know. It didn't really like tell me it wasn't that insightful. I just feel like you can't just like slap a tape recorder in front of these serial killers and expect it to be all that compelling. Um, so yeah, it just, maybe I was a little distracted when I watched it, but it wasn't like, I, I eat this shit up and it didn't really do much for me. Um, I watched Mogul Mowgli. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that the, the Riz Ahmed movie, which is an awful lot like sound of metal. I mean, it's basically the same fucking movie, except not quite as good. Um, here he's battling, uh, autoimmune and autoimmune illness, um, that's undefined really, uh, rather than deafness or, you know, loss of hearing. Um, listen, he's a great actor. Uh, the, the, the style sort of got in the way, I feel like at times of the emotion of this movie, there's a lot of sort of flashbacks and fantasy sequences and stuff like that. Um, this is the, this director, Basim Tariq is going to be doing, uh, the blade movie. So, you know, I wasn't like more, that much more excited to see blade after this, but it also helped me see why he may have gotten that job. If that movie shapes up to be what I think it will. Um, and I can't really even articulate what that is in my head, but I don't think that Mahershala Ali would sign up to do a movie that was just like any other Marvel movie. Um, so this guy has a certain style and you know what? It's his own and we'll see how that applies to, to Blade. Um, yeah. But Mogul Mowgli is definitely worth seeing, particularly if you like Sound of Metal. Uh, Don't Breathe 2 was not as good as the first movie, but it also wasn't bad. It was probably a little bit better than I was inspe- uh, expecting, in fact. And I did not realize that Brendan Sexton III is the villain in this, and I love him. Yeah, that's My name is in fucking Warren from Empire Records, and he's in Session 9. And uh, yeah, you know, he just like developed into a, an interesting character actor. Um, you know, Stephen Lang still gets his comeuppance here because like let's let's be honest he's not a good man necessarily he tries to make good for his past in this movie um it just wasn't as like demented and perverted as that first film and, and unfortunately i think that that once you sort of brand this the, the franchise a certain way like that's what we're expecting and, and that was always going to be hard to top quite frankly and and, and it didn't um Beckett on Netflix watchable I I, I like the pacing I like the momentum that this movie had with John David Washington uh I still don't think he's a great I don't think he's a great actor I think he kind of has like one, one or two modes um Alicia Vikander's kind of wasted Boyd Holbrook comes in way too late he, he comes in like the last 30 minutes or so Vicky Creeps is, is wasted you know I, I think everybody thought she was going to be kind of uh, you know, the, this new ingenue after Phantom Thread, but between this and old, like, and like, was, was she in, was she even in Blade Runner 2049? Like, I don't know. She, she hasn't really done it for me since Phantom Thread. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a conspiracy thriller. It, it kind of delivers what the trailer promises. So the action's actually not bad, uh, but you know, it's like, it's a two and a half star movie. It's a, it's a Netflix movie. Exactly. That's like the definition of a Netflix movie. It's rare that Netflix movies are really better than that. Although I, you know, love the platform. I, I like Stowaway. Um, Demonic, uh, I can finally tell you is absolutely horrendous, like unwatchable. Don't know what happened to Neil Blomkamp. Don't know what happens to him from here. Don't know how you go from Hugh Jackman to Carly Pope. Um, and I liked all three of his movies. I liked District 9. I, I thought it was a little overpraised. I liked Elysium and I really liked Chappie. Chappie gets shit on. Uh, but yeah, there's just something kind of homemade about it, uh, even though I'm sure it costs, you know, $100 million or whatever. Um, so, you know, Neil Blomkamp was three for three in my book. And he, he'll still get the benefit of the doubt with a, a percentage like that. But this movie is a fucking head scratcher. Maybe he just had no money to make it. Uh, the script is stupid. Everything about it is bad. It's one of the worst movies of the year, for sure. Indisputable. Don't know a single soul who liked this movie. Um, and finally, my, Shang, my Shang-Chi reaction, since I can't offer a review yet, reviews are still under embargo, but imagine I had tweeted this out. I'll keep it to like a tweet-length review. Um, I thought I, I, I loved the first 45 minutes. Uh, it went downhill from there and had the same silly third act that all, all Marvel movies do with lots of glowing lights. And yeah. And, you know, my, my big thing, 
Yeah, I'll save that for review. I'll save that until we can actually talk about it. Don't want to upset Marvel. Who knows what weapons they have at their disposal. Um, all right, mailbag time. We'll wrap this up in 10 minutes or so. Will Drowdula says, hey, Jeff, I was wondering why you think last week with an opening of 26.2 million, the headlines were that the Suicide Squad was a box office flop. But then this week, those same sites had headlines about how Free Guy was a box office winner with 28.4 million. Is the extra 2 million that big of a deal? Or is it the websites trying to talk up a theatrical only release to try to save the theatrical uh, experience? That kind of thing. Thanks. Will, that's a great question. But as with everything in life, it all depends on expectations. So the Suicide Squad, even though, yeah, it's battling um, bad history, like the, the first movie left a bad taste in people's mouth. I don't think people love Birds of Prey. You know, a couple critics can tell me otherwise, but that movie was fucking horrendous, too. Um, so, you know, you're, you're, you're losing Will Smith. Uh, there are a bunch of factors in play. The HBO Max release certainly didn't help. Um, 26.2, it's uh, like, we just don't know how many people watch the fucking movie on, on HBO Max, but it also seemed like it was fewer than they expected. 26.2 for the Suicide Squad, though, you wanted to see a three in front of that number, I think. Uh, it, I, I don't know what the budget is comparable to Free Guy, because Free Guy wasn't cheap. But, you know, it's part of the DC universe. It still has John Cena and Idris Elba and Margot Robbie. Like, it's got James Gunn. Like, they, they spent a fortune on it. The marketing has certainly been there since, like, it's really all they've had to market this summer. So, yeah, expectations are everything. Free Guy is an original IP, right? And outside of Ryan Reynolds, you don't have any real major stars. People I, I went to the screen with didn't know who Jodie Comer was. They'd never seen Killing Eve, you know? Joe Keery and, and Lil Rel Howery, like, so it's all on Ryan Reynolds. It's a, it's a weird sort of video gamey hook. Uh, but so like it, 28.4, even though that's only 2 million more than the Suicide Squad, it did feel like a win. I went to the theater and paid to see Free Guy and the fucking theater was crowded. And I looked at and, and just on that, I looked around, I was like, yeah, they, they made, they turned this movie into like, you, you want to see this movie? Go see it in theaters. This is where it was made to be seen. People fucking turned out for that. So I think it's as simple as, as, as that. Like, what are the expectations? Because um, I don't even know how widely report, reported the, the budgets on those two movies were. Uh, Derek Walker Jr. says, good afternoon, sir. I was wondering, what are your thoughts on Variety's report that Disney renegotiated Dwayne Johnson's compensation package for Jungle Cruise? I think this was the right decision. But I also think it's a bad look considering everything going on with ScarJo. I mean, look, Dwayne Johnson made his bet, okay? Dwayne Johnson had the chance to be Arnold and he had the chance to be Stallone and he's not really interested in it. Every now and then you get a movie like Skyscraper, but like Skyscraper didn't perform well for him. I thought it was fucking good, man. But like Dwayne Johnson, I think is just more in his element, quite frankly doing movies like jungle cruise and jumanji i think he's a bit of a ham and that's okay like he he's one of the biggest movie stars in the world like i i love dwayne johnson there's, there's no question about that but like he needs he needs disney moana like he he can't risk alienating the studio over a few million dollars uh, and so if disney asked him to, to renegotiate because jungle cruise certainly didn't do very well um, and not just because it went on, you know, Disney premieres because fucking movie didn't look great. And it certainly wasn't good. I don't believe anyone who tells you otherwise. Sorry. And, and, and like Dwayne has to know this. Um, you know, maybe they throw him a, a fucking sequel or a spinoff where, where seven bucks is a producer on, on the show. You know, like that's how things get done these days. But there's not going to be a fucking jungle cruise sequel like how do you just how do you even bring them back at like the salaries that they would expect like it's insane um so kudos to Dwayne Johnson for being open and recognizing that he might like he should just renegotiate his compensation package if the movie didn't perform well like you know take take a little bit of responsibility in that it's not all on him certainly not all on him and and, and you know he could certainly blame Disney for putting the movie on premiere access 
Although that money is getting added to the box office pool. Movie just didn't perform well. Movies just not fucking good. You don't hire Jama Kalatsera, who did The Shallows and House of Wax to direct your fucking family movie for Disney. Like, uh, like, uh, do, do I need to be a fucking Hollywood consultant? Do I need to tell anybody this stuff? It's, it's wild. Um, it's a bad, I didn't even see Variety's report. So as far as like a bad look, you know, with everything going on with ScarJo, like, listen, man, they don't give a shit how they look unless it's the investors. And if that makes them look good to the investors, then like they should. And, and frankly, they had every right to ask to renegotiate that, co- that compensation package, particularly if this guy wants to keep working there. Uh, we'll go to Keltrick Pickens next. Hey, Jeff, I hope all is well with you. My question is about reactions coming out of the big movie premieres. Shang-Chi just had a big premiere in Hollywood this past week, and every reaction I read was gushing over the movie. Many of your peers are even saying it's one of the best films of the year. Of course, all art is subjective, and just because people love it doesn't mean I or you will. But don't you think it's best to let a movie simmer before going on Twitter and saying it's the best or worst thing you've ever seen? Yes, Keltrick. I mean, you cannot trust critics these days. Critics, and I'm friendly with many of them, and I'm not saying all of them are horrible. There's a lot of critics I have a lot of respect for. A lot of respect for Drew McQueen, for Alonzo Duralde, okay? Critics are fucking terrible overall. I mean, what do you want me to say? I mean, who, who, what are these critics? They're people with, like, day jobs who, like, just go to free movie screenings after work. Like, who do you write for? You write for fucking momandpopblog.com. They're not real critics. Um, There's like 40 or 50 real critics in America, and yet there's like 700 people on Rotten Tomatoes. So I don't know who the fuck they're inviting to these all-media screenings. I really don't. Shang-Chi, I think is, I mean, I don't, it's not a bad movie. Like, I think people are right to be, to, to say it's, good as far as like every saying everybody's saying it's gushing or, or you know saying that they loved it people don't watch movies okay they watch the movies that come out on hbo max or on netflix like i've seen 142 movies this year you know how many people that you're gonna find who've seen that many movies new releases this year very very few almost nobody in the schmodown and they're fucking the, the movie experts who watch everything i, I told you I, I went over to like a little schmodown gathering party and i asked someone hey man how many like new movies you seen this year? He was like 33. I was like, I've seen 133 at this point. But uh, those other 100 movies aren't going to be asked about. So people don't bother watching. So like when pe- someone says this is the best movie of the year, they're saying this is one of the best movies that I've seen this year, which is all of 30 movies. Okay. When I tell you something's the best of the year, it's because I've seen ev- pretty much everything. And I know... I mean, I haven't seen pretty much everything because if you go on my blog, there's 110 movies I know I haven't seen. A lot of those movies I don't think you need to see, but I could certainly pick 10 out of that 110 and say, I should have seen these 10 movies if I'm going to say something's the best of the year. No question. Okay. Some things aren't my taste. Some things you don't have time for. Some things you don't have access for. But yeah, man, like anybody who tells you this movie's the best of the year is lying to you. Anybody who tells you it's the worst of the year is just wrong. Um, I can't I can't give you a, a star because that would be a, a, a review but um, I definitely think that the Twitter discourse and, and specifically look at who they invite to these early screenings I go to the, the last wave right the Wednesday night screening there were screenings you know the junket screenings right for everybody in the junket there were screenings Tuesday night I wasn't invited to like look at who they're inviting to these movies I'm telling you, I stopped getting invited to the Marvel first wave after I had the balls to, to, to tell people that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 sucked. Sorry. Hey, you should have seen how excited they were, how excited Disney and Marvel were. They thought they had a, a hit movie on their hands. I'm telling you, m- movie was bad, okay? I, people have bad taste. You're listening to this podcast for some reason, and, and I have to think, it's not necessarily the scoops, I have to think part of it is my taste. Uh, anyways, we're going to wrap up on this Luke Nelson question. Hi, Jeff. I think it's fairly indisputable at this point that the Suicide Squad would be performing at least somewhat better in theaters if it wasn't released day and date on HBO Max. However, I think the inverse may be true for Disney in the upcoming release of Shang-Chi. Uh, looking at the early box office tracking that has Shang-Chi being the lowest grossing MCU film ever, do you think Disney is leaving money on the table by not releasing a day and date on, under Premiere Access on Disney Plus? Obviously, this whole situation is extremely complicated for a number of re- reasons, but it seems like Disney would 
definitely recoup more of its investment if COVID wary consumers also had the option to watch Shang-Chi at home for $30. Love the pod. Curious about your thoughts on the matter. Like I said, Luke, it's, it's a tricky thing um, because here's the thing. And Scarlett Johansson, I did not actually take this into account. Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit brought it home. The MCU movies are well known for repeat business. And I believe that I didn't even know if I realized this, but the $30 is not a $30 rental. It's a $30 purchase, right? And so you can rewatch that movie over and over and over again. And you can have your friends over and you can have a different set of friends over the next night. It's not even like who you're there watching the first thing, uh, watching it with the first time, you know, where if you're there with your family, that $30 is only $6, five or $6 a person. So I don't, I think that, you know, choice is good for the consumer, particularly right now in the middle of a pandemic. And I do wish that Disney was releasing this in the middle of a pandemic. However, I think that this movie has the sort of cultural importance that a Black Panther does. And if people really want to see it, they'll go out to theaters to see it. Um, Just like they did for Black Widow, which made $80 million. You know, I don't think things were much better uh, a month ago. Certainly, they feel like they've gotten a little bit worse, but like I think you're either going to a movie theater or you're not. Um, you know, even last night I, I brought an old friend to the movie theater. She hadn't been to a movie since Star Wars, right? She hadn't been to the theater, but for Shang Chi, she'll come out. And I think that a lot of people are are willing to think like that. So, do I think that Disney is leaving money on the table? Not necessarily, because they're making more money in theatrical, anyways, and. This is, you know, maybe things get better in 45 days, maybe they get worse, but this movie will be playing exclusively there until then. And, you know, maybe it comes to Disney Plus after. Uh, maybe there's a, a, a pay window, you know, where like it'll be behind Disney Plus premiere for like a week or two. I don't, you know, the, the, the studios, these companies can do anything these days. Everything's an experiment except for Shang-Chi, right? Because, uh, you know, with the, with the Bob Chappick, you know, comments, calling it an experiment and then Sima Lu responding. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe he, he sort of took it out of context a little because I think that Bob Chappick called it, you know, the, the release strategy interesting rather than like, oh, it's, you know, and in just us having a movie with Asian leads is an interesting experiment. I don't think he's dumb enough to, to say that or, you know, I don't think that he meant that. Simu Lu, um, you know, sort of took it that way. But like whether he did or didn't, like it was a good rallying cry. And he's absolutely right. Like Asian led movies are not an experiment. Um, they're just good business. The same as movies starring black people or white people or Latino people or whoever. Um, or Guardians of the Galaxy, green people, right? You always tell about it. Um, yeah. And then Ke- Kevin Feige responded to the premiere uh, this week. And, 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 you know, he's just ever the diplomat, this guy. He, he, he invented media training, Kevin Feige. Him and Bill Belichick. Um, speaking of which, Insider Plus, guys. Sign up for the Insider Plus. We've got a fantasy football league going. If there's 12 other people, I'll, I'll do another league. But we, we have closed our, our fantasy league. We have 11 other folks and myself. I can't wait to, like, you know, get the details together. We're going to do a Zoom, figure out what kind of league we want this to be and how much we want to play for this year. Um, in the meantime, stay safe. It's still a pandemic out there. I love you. God bless. Take care. See you next week. Bye.